This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 697 with Amber Hawley, part two. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 697. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Shameless Moms. So this is part two of my conversation with Amber Holly. Part one was the previous episode, episode 696. In that episode, we talked about women in ADHD. You don't have to have listened to that episode to listen to this one, but I'm just letting you know that it's there. It exists and you might be really interested in it. I'm going to give you Amber's bio in case you missed the first part, part one of our conversation, so that you can learn everything wonderful about Amber. So Amber Holly is a licensed therapist and lifestyle strategist who works with entrepreneurial individuals and couples with the emotional side of business. She's the owner of a therapy practice in Silicon Valley, host of the Easily Distracted Entrepreneur and Couples Fix podcasts. She's also a wife, shameless mom of three kids, and Marvel movie superfan. Amber originally worked in the tech industry, but her love for people led her to pursue a career where meaningful relationships were at the center of everything she does. A lot of Amber's work is centered around neurodiversity, which is what we dig into here today and what we dug into on the previous episode in part one, as she brings her experiences of having ADHD herself, as well as parenting children with ADHD to so much of what she does. So when Amber and I dug into this conversation back in part one, I quickly knew that we were going to need 
a two-part episode. I knew I wanted to really dedicate an entire episode to parenting kids with ADHD, but I also knew I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to women in ADHD, which I think is a conversation that needs to be had more and more because women are so grossly underdiagnosed. So I'm so grateful that Amber quickly on the spot agreed to do a two-part conversation with me so that we could really give you all the things that both of these conversations deserve. So this is part two, all about kids and ADHD, episode 697. In part one, episode 696, we talk about women in ADHD, and I just invite you to check that out if you're interested in that or have any curiosity around maybe some things that happen in your brain that you're not sure, you're not sure what they mean. Today, we're talking about kids with ADHD and parenting kids with ADHD, but here's the thing. Whether or not you are parenting a child with ADHD, your kid is in school with kids who have ADHD. So this is a conversation for all parents so that you can understand not only your children, but also understand the other kids in your community and be able to hold space for kids who see the world differently, navigate the world differently, maybe play differently, maybe follow directions differently, all the things. So when we think about being in community with other families and other children, and other people's children, we really all belong to each other. And I think it's really important that we aren't just learning about how our kids function in the world, but we're also creating space for supporting the other kids in our community. So I want everyone to listen into this episode. With all that said, listen in to hear Amber share three types of ADHD in kids and how they manifest differently, how her two kids with ADHD exhibit very different symptoms, the importance of acknowledging ADHD as a dopamine deficiency in the brain, the connection between anxiety and ADHD in kids, when to seek a professional assessment for your child's mental health, how a diagnosis can be helpful and even a powerful tool, especially if your child has a strong tendency to mask their symptoms, the layers of making decisions around medicating your child who has ADHD and different kinds of medication that can support children who have ADHD, how all parents and kids can be supportive of neurodivergent kids in the community, and some of the superpowers and super strengths of kids with ADHD. So lots and lots in this conversation. Please join me in welcoming back to the show for part two, Amber Hawley. Amber, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. We, of course, our ADHD conversation couldn't be accomplished in one conversation. (laughs) It needed to be two conversations because there's just too much to talk about. So in our last conversation, we talked about moms and women with ADHD. And we, like halfway through, I was like, there's no way we're going to have time to do this conversation justice and involve the kid piece. And so I was like, can we do a part two? Maybe, please. (laughs) So here we are. So I want to talk about parenting a child with ADHD And tell us your, I know you have some experience with that. So what has that been like in your world? And then from there, we'll dig in a little further. Yeah. Yeah. I, so at least two of my children have ADHD. (laughs) Two of, and you have three. I have three. I have 15,000 children. (laughs) And so, yes, I have three, the youngest, uh, it remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, and as we get more into kind of symptoms, we'll see, but both my husband and I have ADHD. So like, there's always a high likelihood because, you know, the genetic component, but yeah. So I have a 12, my 12 year old and 10 year olds definitely have ADHD. Very different shows up very different for both of them. And I feel like, I feel like I 
befriend people with ADHD and then their kids have ADHD. I just feel like I'm surrounded <laughs> and in like the best way possible, right? You're like in a safe place. Yes. <laughs> so I just feel like I see it everywhere <laughs> beyond, beyond the therapy, the coaching I do, the business coaching, like all of, you know, I, I collect my neurodivergent people. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Can you talk a little bit about what, so you, if having two children with ADHD, you said that it shows up differently. You see it differently, um, in both of them. Can you talk about that piece? Because I think, I think what's so significant is that we, especially if we were raised like in the seventies and eighties and nineties, maybe even we have this view of what ADHD looks like. And it's like the boy in the classroom who like could never raise his hand and maybe got in trouble a lot. Like that's the stereotype. And so when you say you have two kids and it looks really different, I'm like, well, but like me growing up in a classroom, there was only one way for it to look. And I know that's like so wrong and so outdated. So can you talk a little bit about what it looks like? Yeah, but like we never got that education and we've learned Mm -hmm. so much, you know, in the last like 30, 40 years, whatever, what, you know, case in point that we touched on, I never got diagnosed until I was 41 because like usually girls don't get diagnosed and because they're not acting up in school. Usually right. that's what, so like you're saying, those are the kids that get the diagnosis that get kind of like called out because they are acting out in a certain way and disrupting the class. Right. And so that's what we think of. So there's the DSM, which is our diagnostic statistics manual for like doctors, therapists, psychiatrists use to diagnose ADHD. So according to that, there are three types. There's the hyperactive the inattentive and the combined type. And so that's, you know, just knowing that is helpful, but I actually uh, train with Dr. Amen who talks about the seven types of ADD. And so there are actually quite a few types and how it shows up. And I have to tell you after, gosh, now I don't even know how many years I've been doing therapy. I'm like, let me do math here. Um, But like 15, 16 years of doing therapy plus I do like life coaching and parent coaching and business coaching with neurodivergent people. I am telling you, it shows up so different and it's so fascinating and interesting to see that. And so I really think the seven types is more indicative. So with my kids, I would say, so usually the kid that gets in trouble in class is the hyperactive ADD type, or maybe combined because they have the both. So there's you know, when we go by just the DSM, it's like the hyperactive kid who can't sit still, you know, blurts things out. It just has a ton of energy and is like, go, go, go. And can't focus, can't like, you know, make, get things done. And then there's the inattentive, which we kind of think of the classic daydreamer. So the Mm -hmm. kid who's just like, kind of off daydreaming, like doesn't pay attention, you know, forgets things. So those are kind of, like the typical ones that most people think of. And so, yeah, for my daughter, it's interesting. So she definitely has more of that inattentive type and she can be blurty, like, you know, with us, like she can, like I say, I'm a little blurty too. Like I will just be like, my brain will be like, "Ah," and I say something. And then I'm like, wow, that was really not the right timing for that, you know? But like me, I can relate, but I thought that was just a redhead thing. (laughs) It actually could be. It just could be. I was also the thing where I'm like, I know I'm right. I have a really good idea and you need to hear this right now. Yes. Yes. So there's reasonings. Right. (laughs) Overlapping, overlapping. Yes. Yeah. But she, 
you know, she's the forgetful, she'll walk around with something and I'll say like, go put this in your room. And if I see her walk around, I already know. And it'll end up like in some random cupboard or wherever she just happened to stop, you know, like she always is losing things, you know, that kind of thing. But she's like really good socially. She doesn't blurt out in school. In fact, her teachers usually love her. She's, you know, she's super smart. She might have, you know, cause she's still young, 12, Like I have uh, what's called over-focused ADHD, Mm. which shows up a little, you know, in, I'm going to use lay terms like OCD-ish, what people would think like you get really fixated, you hyper-focus, you have a hard time like transitioning. She might be more that type, but my son is just super sensitive. Now he's not, again, he's not the kid who is going to be disrupting class a lot. I mean, occasionally, because he's a human being, right? But he's not, but when he talks, sometimes we're always like, oh my, we're inside. Like, it feels (laughs) like he's yelling all the time Mm. when he's talking because he's just excited and loud. And, but he's very, very sensitive. And he, but he has that thing where, like, if I tell him three things to do, that's like really overwhelming for him still at this stage that he's in, where, you know, like, you know, with some kids, you can be like, do you can name three things and they could, execute all three. Yes. Yes. They could do a sequence task, but he has a, he still really struggles with that. And Mm so, you know, there's some overlapping characteristics because they can be extremely loud. And when they're all together, and I mean, I think this is all kids, right? (laughs) They're just so loud, which is a little bit overstimulating for me, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's just interesting to see that, you know, again, there's like, he has that hypersensitivity, which would be more in what we would call like, um, the limbic ADD, according to Eamon, where he talks about, there's this kind of like moodiness. And my daughter has more of just like the distracted. And actually I would say she's a little more anxious. She has like, maybe like the anxious ADHD. So super interesting and helpful. Two things I want to mention on the back end of that is, and I'm like typing notes, so I don't forget my two thoughts. (laughs) So first is I have a number of friends, like you were talking about how you collect neurodivergent friends. I'm like, maybe we're the same that way. Um, Not neurodivergent friends, but I have so many friends and that are in this process of either they are, they have a child who's been diagnosed or, and then they're in the process of like having some assessing done and kind of, there's some speculation around like what's going on with their, the way their children's brains work. And one of the things that's come up with a number of them is the sequencing. And one of my friends said, and her son was diagnosed a number of years ago now, but she said when she had, so her kids are a little over two years apart. And so when her daughter was like two and a half and her son was approaching five, she was starting to recognize like her two and a half year old could do like three things in a row. And her son, she'd be like, we give him one task to go get dressed. And then she would go back into his room 15 minutes later. And he'd be like rolling on the floor naked, singing a song. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. And she was like, why can like the toddler do these things? So this started happening. So she gives me this really, like, it sounds like a really funny example, but like so many of us are, who are listening, I'm sure like, oh my gosh, like that's my kid. And what's been interesting since then is a number of my friends who I've shared that with, who are having children going through this process of potential assessment and diagnoses and everything. And they're like, Oh my God, that's totally my child. The rolling on the floor naked, singing a song. When you're like, I asked you to do one thing to get ready for school, get dressed. Like, it's not a surprise. We do it every single day, (laughs) every single day, but every single day, it seems to be a surprise to you. And you're rolling on the floor naked, singing a song. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, you just reminded me. That's where my, my youngest. So my kids are 12, 10 and eight now. 
And I think it was last year, my youngest, she was saying something. She's like, I'm more mature than Liam, you know, and she's very sassy. And she said, I'm more mature. And I said, well, yeah, you know, you are because she can follow those sequences. She can do like that kind of stuff. Plus just, you know, emotional maturity she has. And it was so cute because he comes up and he goes, no, look, I'm taller than you. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. Obviously the more mature one. <laughs> exactly. I, mean... I was like, but it makes me think about that. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so, so true. Yeah. It's those kinds of things where you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, yeah. You start to pick up on things. The other thing I wanted to circle back on was you mentioned that in one child, you see more of a tendency or propensity toward anxiety. And another thing I've been learning about recently is this connection and overlap between anxiety and ADHD. And it's something that I've been talking with my therapist about as I've been trying to kind of like finagle and, you know, self-diagnose through Google. (laughs) My therapist is like, you could just like go to a psychologist. (laughs) My my psychologist and I argue about these things. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. And that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment 
formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect. So Vinny does not like ointmenty, creamy, lotiony things on his body, but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Anyway, so in this process though, I've noticed this connection and my therapist has like confirmed the connection between ADHD and anxiety and how it's really tough, can be really tough to tell if both are present or if one is just giving symptoms of the other. So there's that piece. And as I've had multiple friends go through the process of their children being diagnosed, it's been really interesting that that diagnosis together, a diagnosis of ADHD and anxiety seems to be pretty common. So can you touch on that a bit as in your, as a professional, I'm really curious about that combination. Absolutely. And yeah, I would say when I think about it, that's one of the number one, like rule outs or like coexisting, like you said, symptoms. I mean, depression is up there too. And, and mm-hmm. even like autism, you know, having autistic yeah, characteristics. Another- yeah. There's a lot, but, but the anxious part. So there's, so if we like the doctor, even the seven types, the anxious, like my daughter, she, that's more speaking about to general disposition. When you have that kid, who's just a little anxious, like she's always worried. She'll say something. And I said, well, you just need like, I was something about bread. And I said, well, just make sure there's not mold on it. Cause I feel like that bread is like old. And then she's like, well, I ate it. Cause I found some. And she goes, will I die? Like she was so like mm. really were, and she's super smart, 12 year old. And I was like, no, you're not going to die. Like, it's just mold. You probably didn't even eat any, but right. she is like, she has this anxious disposition, right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, and I think why, and this is the thing, especially when they're trying to figure out which one, when you have ADHD, the likelihood of you dropping balls like, and if we're talking about kids now, forgetting to do your homework, not getting things done, you know, um, feeling like you're behind or don't understand the assignment and just kind of not really, you know, fully being aware of what's going on the, you can get so much anxiety just from that. Right. right. So like even just the, or like being yelled at because, you know, your parents said, go to your room and get ready for school. And then you don't, and then you're, so every day, like, you're getting yelled at in the morning, you're getting yelled at in school, you're getting yelled at at home, you know, at night, like it feels like you're always not doing things right. That can cause a lot of anxiety, right? Right. So sometimes like you're saying, it can be the ADHD, the way it's showing up and manifesting can result in people feeling anxious because they're getting all this negative feedback or like maybe they failed a class, you know, things like that. And so it creates that anxiety. That's really the symptom because Mm -hmm. it's the ADHD that's causing these things as opposed to, like you said, there's times where 
you can, if somebody's really anxious and then they're preoccupied, they can appear like forgetful, like they're not paying attention. Like they, it can look inattentive, but it's really about, it's purely the anxiety symptoms are causing some of the characteristics that fall under ADD or ADHD. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And I think if you throw in just to throw one more thing in there, but if you throw trauma in there, yes. so then you also see, I think other layers of anxiety, inattentiveness, like that can be really tricky to tell. And so I've definitely seen some of that with, um, in, with different families and kids where then you're looking at like, well, I thought that there might be some anxiety from this trauma or is that ADHD that was always there? That's like, no. <laughs> so yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And there can be some, there can be overlap. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is where sometimes I get frustrated when they're like, oh, well you have anxiety. So I'm not going to give you like the medication, like any kind of stimulant medication. Cause it could exacerbate it. And it's like, well, sometimes it could be the saving grace, right? Like yeah. medication is a whole separate topic, but trauma. Absolutely. Because You'll even see with trauma, there's often depression, anxiety. There can be that, like uh, we call it perseverating, where you stay stuck on a thought. So again, that's how that over-focused ADD can show up. And so you stay stuck on a thought, you have a hard time transitioning, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity. And so, yeah, that's why you have to go and get a, like a, a good workup and diagnosis from somebody yeah. because there's so much overlap in how this stuff shows up. And it could be both. You could have both going on, but absolutely trauma is going to be impacting a, a lot of how that shows up too. I appreciate you pointing to people getting a legit assessment instead of being like me and searching Google. <laughs> um, so can you tell people when is it the right time when you are watching your child struggle, maybe in a whole bunch of different ways, when is the right time Sometimes I think we like when we see enough things line up or like and we have like a long enough list of concerns, then we're like, okay, now it's time. But I also think sometimes there might just be like one or two things that continue to be there. And we might be dismissing this like, oh, that's just, you know, a nine-year-old boy being a nine-year-old boy or yeah. a 12-year-old girl being a 12-year-old girl. So how do we know when is the time to get a formal assessment? Yeah. I mean, obviously if you feel you want to get one, get one, right? Like, but I would say if you're in that category of, yeah, there's things going on and I'm not sure, I guess for me, I would always go back to, is it impairing any parts of their life? And so mm, that's like great. when, like I'll use my kids as an example, my 12 year old, I've never gotten her a formal diagnosis, although I can diagnose ADHD, right. I, as a clinician, because she does really well in school. She does really well in her social relationships because that's a big category, right? Like relationships. Um, she, you know, like she has the typical struggles that all of us have with ADHD, but, but it doesn't impact like, you know, at home she's, you know, she's also a moody 12 year old, but she doesn't, you know, she can help out. She's super helpful. She's very kind. She has good relationships. She does well in school and she, you know, seems to have a breadth of interest. So I feel like, Hey, right now she doesn't necessarily need it. Now, my son, on the other hand is a different story. And it's interesting. I actually forgot like his number one um, symptom, or I would say the way it shows up that actually is problematic. So we're getting him an assessment is, um, like he has this thing and, it, and 
under Dr. Amen, they talk about there's an association with like head trauma. And he had a, mm-hmm. he had a trauma when he was three, a drowning accident. And so there it's this thing where he gets, when he gets overstimulated and he's very sensitive, as I said, but he can get explosive and just like, he can't calm himself down and he gets super upset. Um, generally very sweet, but once he hits that limit, like there's, he just can't like self-soothe and control, you know, like, uh, and, and get himself out of it. It takes a long time self-regulate. Yeah. So with him, like it does impact him at school sometimes, like it hadn't really until last year at the end of the year. And so we're like, okay, you know, so we had to reach out and we're on waiting list, but, um, but like, again, he does well in school, but he has to work so hard to do well. And so it takes a lot of extra energy, which causes him a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And, um, even though he has some good friendships and luckily, like literally every one of his friends is, there's no way those kids are not ADHD. Most of them have diagnosis diagnoses. Well, do you but... think they attract each other though? Because <laughs> they can, because I it's... think that there's symptoms, a child with ADHD can have a really dynamic personality, which yeah. can make them really magnetic. And then I would think I can see how they can attract one another because yeah. there's an energy that's like, it's attractive. It's fun. It's exciting. And to like get all caught up in all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and on the flip side of that, a lot of kids and it's, it shows up with girls too. So I'm trying not to be too mm-hmm. general overgeneralizing, but I see it a lot in boys. And, you know, in my therapy clinic, we saw a lot of kids um, and we would see this more in boys that they really struggle socially because they can be blurty and impulsive and they, you know, don't always share well. And, you know, so they actually can be shunned by a lot of peers. So I think when they find a friend that's like them, like you're saying, so sometimes it's not even that they're magnetic. It's more like, Oh, like we're, we're both kind of on the outside, like let's connect, you know? And so they have each other. Um, yeah. So that's, so I would say, I would say like, again, if you're like, Hey, this is something that, that I feel could be, and I want to go get a diagnosis. I'm never going to say like, don't go get diagnosed. Right. Right. But if it's impairing your kid in some way, and especially if it's impairing them in school, like, and so again, my son does really well in school, but the effort he has to put in to get there is it takes a lot out of him. So even having that diagnosis, as you know, like can help with getting like 401 plans or getting accommodations, Mm -hmm. you have to have a diagnosis for that. And so I have worked with, I I only see adults, um, adults and couples now, but I have worked with, um, you know, young adults who are in that transition in college. And they were like, God, I wish my parents had gotten me the diagnosis because now they're at college and they need like extra time to complete like a test or, you know, they need, they need special accommodations and it's just harder and they, and they have to go through the whole process. Right. Um, so there's something to think about with that. Like Hmm. I would say it's always, I would always go back down to that. And just because you have the diagnosis does not mean you have to do medication. I think that's always a big fear. That's absolutely not the case. Like there are some kids who medication is life-changing for them and it makes their life so much better. And just it's, it's transformative, but there are many things that can be done behaviorally and, um, you know, otherwise, but it's good to know. Yeah. I think it's, that's the other thing. Like I see so many adults go, 
I don't know, maybe. And they're always wondering, like, could I be, you know? And so that's, you know, it's just nice to be able to say, yes, I have this. And right <laughs> now I can move on. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I want to touch on two things from what you just said. Um, so first of all, the masking. And so if you have a child who is a high performer, does well in school, like they're doing fine. And you might not be, you're like, they might have some things, but like they're getting good grades and like, I'm not getting calls from the teacher or whatever. Um, recognizing that if they're masking to do that, how exhausting that is. And this is something that I suspect with myself is like, now that I'm 40, almost 47. And I feel like perhaps I've been masking for 47 years. <laughs> it's like, I'm really tired. <laughs> yes. Um, the masking that I did in school, cause I was a high performer, high achiever. And it was really, really, there's certain subjects that were really hard for me, even though I got straight A's. Um, and in looking back, and this is something that I kind of argued with my, um, psychiatrist about, because he's like, well, but you got good grades and like you had an organized desk. And I was like, yeah, 100%. But like the energy it took to do a lot of the things I did was extraordinary. And I just thought that was normal. I, I assumed everyone was putting in that much energy. So I think that masking piece is really important, recognizing potentially when a kid could be masking. And then I wanted to get into the medication part a little bit as well. Did you want to say anything more about masking though before yeah. I move on? Well, one, I'm just really glad you brought that up and that you talk about that because, and I think we said this in the first interview, but I know, I I'm trying remember. to remember our like, part I, one. <laughs> I think we talked about this where, cause you talked about that and I was irritated with your psychiatrist about, <laughs> it's like, that's a coping mechanism having right. to have, and I'm this way. I need everything to be in its home and organized and clean and labeled and color coded so that I can feel at peace enough to mm -hmm. focus on my work. Right. And yeah. so like you having a clean desk and getting straight A's, you know, that's again, if, if that's the litmus we're using, that's a terrible <laughs> litmus right, and test, right? right? Like right. that's bullshit. Well, um, yeah. And the questions that he asked were very like 1982 ADHD questions. And I was yes. like, don't we have like an updated questionnaire on this? <laughs> and I swear, since I talked to you, I've had clients, cause I have a lot of clients who are going through this diagnosis with some of their kids and also trying to get different options for themselves. And, and I just get so frustrated. I was like, they sometimes we lack self-awareness sometimes of these behavior totally. traits. So if you're just doing a self-assessment and that's all you're utilizing, mm -hmm. it's like, oh my God, like you aren't getting the real like picture here. Right? right. Like I think the approach sucks. So let me put that out there. But yeah. with masking, I love that you say that because again, if you just base like, oh, my kid does well to get A's and B's or all A's. So therefore they're fine. Like, no, like how much effort is going on behind the scenes? And are they, are they at the point where like, oh, I can't go out and play. I can't be social because I have to spend all my time like finishing this. And like, it takes them, you know, three hours to do something that would take one hour. Right. right. Like that's the stuff to look at as well. And that's where like with my daughter that she doesn't have that. Like she's, it's pretty, she's like me where it kind of comes easy to her, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's fine. Although she had the same thing as me where like, if, if, if it's counting homework, we're screwed because we're terrible at homework, getting it done. But testing is amazing, right? Like that's, so that's kind of like our, yeah. our thing. But I love that you say that. Cause I think so many parents need to hear that. It's not 
it's not about not getting calls from the school or getting A's. It's about how is your child doing emotionally and checking mm-hmm. in with them and saying like, how do they feel about their workload? How do they feel about how school is going, you know, cause, and having that open dialogue. And this is where I think the diagnosis becomes really powerful and really important because then you can acknowledge whether or not you choose to do medication, which we'll get into in a minute, you can acknowledge that this is the way that your brain works and perhaps you've been masking. So let's look at how we can accommodate for your, how your brain works instead of having you work extra hard to override how your brain works. And there's, that's like a very different approach. And when you know that you have this diagnosis, then all of a sudden you can approach it in a really different way so that you can work with your brain instead of trying to override like a broken, not, I don't want to say broken system, but override a system that's firing differently than a teacher might be asking it to fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, instead of expecting the neurodivergent person to accommodate the way that standard operating procedures are of life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of life, the nine to five, the, this, the, that, instead of that, like, uh, like being flexible in, you know, changing up how we approach things and what we expect, like, and sometimes it's even like critical thinking, why is it important that we do it this way? Yeah. Right. And I, and I, yeah, I I'm with you. I have so many teacher friends and I have so much love and respect for teachers and the hard work they do. And I could never do it. And like, they, they are so overloaded that they, it's like, they need support in that too, of like, if they're being, if the expectations are of, this is how you have to do it. And they have no freedom and flexibility to be creative. How can we expect them to do that with their kids? And then therefore like our kids are in that same you know, trickle down expectation. Totally. Okay. So medication, this is such a big topic yes. and <laughs> it's, so I am no, no one in my family is medicated for ADHD and no one in my family has a formal diagnosis. I highly suspect that I have it though, but I have a number of friends who, and people who are either close girlfriends of mine, people I know through our school who have children who are diagnosed and a number of them have ended up putting their children on medication, but that has always been in every circumstance. It has been a really long, hard layered decision and which it should like, I don't would never suggest that we treat this lightly, but what's been interesting is in all the people that have kind of, because it's a big decision that a lot of them have delayed it and been like, well, we're going to try these other things and we're going to put it off. And like that it's been treated as a last resort all of them, once they've started medication have been like, oh, wow, this is a game changer. And I wish we did, would have done this a year ago. And so I think it's a really interesting pattern. And I've seen it so many times now, I would love to hear your professional opinion on, I know that there's no blanket answer. Like this is when you should like check these boxes and then start. (laughs) But I think there's so many worries and also stigma around medication that I would love to kind of know your professional guidance around that, that might be supportive of people who are thinking that through and trying to come to a decision. Yes, yes, yes. And hundred percent. And I will say, you know, kind of my approach too is I think I try to medication is not my first go-to like, that's just, I tend to be on the more of the holistic side. I run in some extreme holistic circles where (laughs) that's a whole different thing, but at the same time, I'm like, 
these medications were created and can be so transformative and helpful, like anything that, you know, why would we just ignore this, you know, I guess it's like technology in a way that, that can really help people. And so, yes, I think there's the two camps. One is it's the last resort. And sometimes they push it back way too many years and because their kid is struggling. And that's why I say, unfortunately. Right. And then there's the other camp where it's like, they're almost forced, like, especially those little boys who are acting out. They're like, like, like the five-year-old kind school. of just being a five-year-old. Oh, exactly. Because <laughs> the school is like, oh, well you must sit for six hours mm-hmm. a day. What? Right. Like I can't, I mean, I do because I <laughs> see clients, but like, I wouldn't want to do that either. Like, it's just ridiculous. Right. So you either get the people who are in that camp. And so, and then they feel guilty, like, oh, I'm, I should have like pushed back or whatever. And it's like, no, like if it's helping them, it's helping them and it can be Mm -hmm. transformative. I think, yeah, you have to kind of honor your approach, but I think letting go of, I think it is a stigma of like, oh my God, like I'm a bad parent. If I medicate my kid and it just means that I don't want to have to deal with them. And I don't want to have to parent. I mean, I hear I've heard it all. And it's so frustrating because I'm like, this is a chemical issue, right? So ADHD is a deficiency of dopamine in a certain part of the brain. And just like, you know, I think the example we often use is like, if you're diabetic and you're not producing insulin, you need insulin. Like, why would you deprive somebody of that? Mm -hmm. And so understanding it's a dopamine deficiency and, you know, the same thing, like there are certain disorders that like you could approach them differently and they don't necessarily need medication, like with depression, right? But sometimes the depression gets so bad that you need that booster to get you to a place where you can learn the behavioral stuff in order to make the changes. So I think the same can be with ADHD. It's like, why is that bad that you're giving your kid what they need to function and to feel good? And it doesn't always have to be stimulant. So there are certain types of the ADD that actually respond well to uh, an antidepressant. Um, and again, I'm not telling people that they should do this for their kids. They should go to a psychiatrist and have the conversation, yes. <laughs> have a proper, you know, thing, but especially with adults like Wellbutrin, because it's, um, it's, you know, it, it actually leaves more dopamine in the brain. And so it's a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. So it keeps more dopamine in the brain and that's why it works really well for people with ADD. And so the same thing, like there are other options And there are things that you can do around diet and exercise and, you know, like, um, having structure, but sometimes some kids are just really struggling. And if they're on more of the moderate to severe range of how their ADD shows up, I think it's sometimes cruel to not give them that because I see these kids who are like shunned completely and they just don't have friends. And it's like, we are social beings and it's heartbreaking to see these sweet smart, energetic little kids not have connections because their brain is so overstimulated that they just like it's, they're struggling in their relationships. right? Right. So, you know, I think like, I really would love for us to stop judging people based on, oh, you give your kid medication. And somehow that means something about you as a parent and just, I don't know, mind our own business and also understand that these medications have been around for a long time and they're very helpful. And, you know, it's like that sometimes is the good parent choice is to give them medication. Yeah. 
This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I love, I so appreciate that analogy that you probably use every day that is super eye-opening to me. <laughs> Would you judge someone for giving a patient with diabetes insulin? if they need insulin, you give them insulin. Like we don't, yes. there is no, we do not judge that. It's not like, uh, we're not sitting around like, <laughs> yeah, like the oh, pros well, and cons. you should make them exercise and eat healthier right. and then they won't need that insulin. It's like, it's right. a biological right. like, deficiency. <laughs> give them the insulin. Yeah. So <laughs> to recognize like your kid needs dopamine, give them the dopamine. And like you said, there's other tools that you can use and you can try other things first, but like that is not at <laughs> all showing a deficit of or lack of trying or lack of like utilizing other tools or anything like that. And I think that's so significant and so important. And to remember that some of that early intervention mm -hmm. and because then they can function in a way where they can take in learning and, and adhere to schedules and structures is so helpful because there is a high correlation with a lot of big time struggles with ADHD, like the addiction, you know, there's the impulsivity part. There's also the self-medicating. Like, I can't tell you how many adults or even like teens that I knew that they would smoke pot because it would help calm their brain. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're needing that, but they're like, Oh, I can't take medication. I was like, Oh yes, but you can take drugs. <laughs> like That's okay. That's all right though. You know? Right. And so, you know, and there's just, there is a high correlation with um, relationship problems, divorce, you know, financial problems, 
you know, I'm leery to list all of the things that are usually listed because I don't want to catastrophize and make people think like your kid's going to end up in prison. It's not that, but, but to remember that giving them support when you can give them all of that support and help them learn and develop good habits and in, in, you know, involve medication so that they actually are functioning and they feel good about themselves. They have good self-esteem is going to pay off as an adult, because that's the thing. Like if they don't get that intervention, then as an adult, like it's so hard to, you know, write the ship and kind of relearn all of that stuff. It's much easier if we can, can get it in childhood. And also for a child to know and understand, oh, my brain works in this certain way. So I'm going to work with that and figure out like what tools my brain needs or what medication or whatever, whatever my brain needs. So that I'm lowering the risk of all of those other statistical, highly probable statistical outcomes, because those highly probable statistical outcomes, I think are, and I'm not a professional, so I'm speculating, but I would assume are typical, much more typical with untreated, undiagnosed ADHD. hundred percent. Yes, exactly. And that's the and, and honestly, one of the things that I think works best, like wh- whether you want to call it a tool or a coping mechanism or a strategy is self-acceptance. Totally. Like when that is one of the most transformative things. And it's hard to do though, if you're still like failing classes or have no friends or, you know, right. have failed relationships or whatever, like it's, I mean, but we, it's a practice, like we all have to practice at it. I do too. And, and it's like, that's the kind of thing of instead of saying what's wrong with me, I'm just not good enough. I'm not a good son or daughter. I'm not a good partner. I'm not a good business owner. I'm not a good, you know, parent, whatever. It's like realizing, no, there are certain struggles and your brain works differently. And so if we can understand like, okay, this is how my brain works. How can I support that? So I think the Mm -hmm. self-acceptance piece, and that's where sometimes like knowing, oh, this is what's going on. My brain works different, not well, there's something wrong with you and you're broken is really, really helpful. Absolutely. We're really fortunate. We're in a school where in Vinny's grade, there's multiple children who are neurodivergent and it's very public and known. And so special about that is that there's a lot of open conversation around how, oh, but brains work differently. And so this person, the way their brain works is this way. And the way this person's brain works is this way. And it's been really helpful in explaining as these kids are growing up, explaining like, oh, well, this kid does this this way, because remember they have ADHD or they have autism or they have Down syndrome or whatever the thing is. Um, So they are, they react to the world in this way, or they're learning to do it in this way. That's different than the way that you're learning to do it, or that you're experiencing it. And that's been invaluable as I talk to my neurotypical child, but it's also been really interesting to watch. And I only have gotten to see little glimpses of this, but there's some kids in the class that really own like, Hey, I'm so-and-so and I have ADHD. And like, like they just totally, it's like part of their identity and it's not shameful. It's not a cop out. It's just like, this is me. So I have a wobble chair and it's been really cool to see. And it's really I credit parents, the parents and the teachers in our community for supporting those conversations and having that openness around it, that it's, I think really destigmatized and, you know, eliminated the potential of a lot of shame, uh, potentially in the community. I would love to talk a little bit about how we can be 
whether it's a parent advocating for their child or it's parents of neurotypical children being conscientious of how their children show up in support of neurodivergent children, how can we all be in community with each other in school systems? Which is a really big yeah. question, by the way. Well, I, just, I love that you're two minutes left, that. but go for it. Yeah, I know. I know. I was like, and two minutes now, right, right. Um, <laughs> but I love that they do that. Cause I think so many places they don't have those conversations. And even like my youngest will come home and she'll be like, oh, so-and-so got in trouble again. And then I say, well, I I'm pretty sure they have ADD. Cause like I met the kid and, and I, and I was like, you know, so it's hard the way that, you know, they expect them to sit. And so like, if there aren't any accommodations, even like small things of it's okay for you to walk around the room, it's okay for you to, you know, have to do things in a different way. And just like letting kids know, because even neurotypical kids, we all have our own preferences and ways that feel better to us. And so it's like, if we could honor that we all work differently. And I think, like you said, it's talking about it. Cause I think most of the time we never have that conversation. It's more like, right. Oh, you know, Jimmy, he acts out and he's always getting in trouble and he can't, you know, doesn't pay attention instead of him being the bad kid. And then, which is only going to you know, it impacts his self-esteem. It's going to exacerbate things. And then he's, you know, he's just going to feel terrible and, you know, feel like there's something wrong with him. Yeah. I'm deeply flawed as opposed to, yeah, let's have this conversation. And, you know, this is how, yeah, he is brain works. He needs to walk around the room or he needs to have that bounce chair because that helps his brain focus. Because the thing is, you know, there's like brain scans that show when people are trying to focus on something, that area of the brain will like light up. And because it's like acting, it's all the, you know, synapses firing and we're focusing, but with people with ADHD, it's, it doesn't do that. It's almost like the more you try to focus, it doesn't always like light up. 100%. This was me with reading comprehension. Like the more I'd be like now focus harder, like the less I would be, I'm like, I have no clue what that paragraph said. Yeah, exactly. And you reread that same thing three times. And then sometimes you'll come back to it and you'll read it once. Oh yeah, I totally get it. Like, you know, it's just those things. And so it's like the harder they try, the worse it is. And so Mm -hmm. that, and just imagine as a kid, like the struggle of that, like the more you try, it just feels like it's never good enough and it's self-defeating. So I think just having those conversations in a way that isn't judgmental and blaming. And I think that's the biggest piece, not like, oh, that kid, he's crap, you know? Right. Or like the whispering whispering (laughs) to another parent while your kid's in the room, like, oh, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy, blah, 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 blah or Tommy or whoever. And my son has a friend named Jimmy. So I'm like, I don't want Jimmy's name. I know. I know. I was like, God, I, I literally didn't want to pick a name. Cause no. I thought, I'm like, okay, oh, Tommy, yeah. there's no Tommy's in his life. <laughs> like where you're like, oh, that's just Tommy, you know? And like that, uh, that hush has that weird, annoying thing that parents of the eighties did like, don't be that way. But the, what I want to end with that I think is really significant and really important. And something I've witnessed in all the people I know with ADHD, whether adults or children is that ADHD can absolutely be a superpower and a super strength. Yes. And so like, let's end on this piece. That's really positive. <laughs> and can you share just some of the superpowers and super strengths of kids with ADHD that you, I'm seen? so glad you brought that up. Cause I actually had that in my head and thinking, and this is the perfect, that's the other thing. If we're talking about it and we're talking about, I'm going to use Jimmy cause I already used Jimmy. Right. <laughs> I'm like, uh, but here's the thing with Jimmy. Yeah. Sometimes he talks out of turn or he can't sit still, but the thing is he's super creative. Like that's what we see is the creativity, <clears throat> you know, there, are, the estimation is like entrepreneurs, like 40% of entrepreneurs yeah. have ADD or ADHD. And 
there's a lot of reasons, but there's like innovation and creativity that happens. Like they can be super artistic. They think outside the box. So that's that innovative part. My experience is most of the people I know with ADHD, like they're super kind and empathetic. They're very, you know, like sometimes if they're, they're in that, like they're so hyperactive and they're not paying attention to other people that, you know, that comes across as like, they're not caring. But I, but what I find is there is a sensitivity and caring there, there. like when they can focus and when they're doing that, um, let me see, what are some of the other ones? The hyper-focus is amazing. So we can get, I mean, we can get things done in a short period of time that would take months for other people. And right. so, um, you know, there's, there's that piece where that hyper-focus can be a real asset in so many ways mm-hmm. in problem solving too. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what are some of the other ones that stand out to me. I think, you know, again, I mean, this is a generalization, but I feel like there is a lot of like acceptance of other people. Like you said, there's Mm. this kind of like collecting and magnetism where it's, we're all, we're all good here. We're the, you know, the, we're on the outside of things sometimes. And sometimes it's like, I just, you know they're very, uh, they can be very gregarious and charismatic as well. Yes. I love all that. I totally, I've seen all of that. I totally agree. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So again, we're right at time. I need to let you go to your next appointment. Can you tell people where they can find you, where they can connect with you, reach out to you, work with you and all those good things? Absolutely. Um, well, I would say probably the best place, well, if they're listening to podcasts, they can head on over to the easily distracted entrepreneur. If they're inclined for that, but amberholly.com is, um, a great place to find a lot of information. And I'm going to put up a page that, um, amberholly.com forward slash shameless <laughs> almost couldn't get that out. And I'm going to have resources for both the episodes. So one for, I think we talked about shiny object syndrome was the yeah. thing for last, the last episode, and then also resources for supporting your kids. So I'll have both of those for people where they can get more information and they can always, uh, hit me up on Instagram. If they're Instagram people at it's Amber Holly. Love it. Oh, Amber, I adore you so much. Let's do a part three. Whenever you're ready. You I know. I was anytime. just thinking, what would part three, part three might be, have to be about relationships. Oh my God. Couples. I could seriously, like we need a mini series. We need a Netflix mini series, please. We should. Um, so we will continue this conversation. Thank okay. you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.